Welcome to Good People, Cool Things, the podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. I'm your host, Joey Held, and today's guest is Ray Blakeney, who has built, run, and sold six- and seven-figure businesses for the last 14 years. We're talking a chocolate factory in Asia, Live Lingua, the third-largest online language school, Twidgicate, a social network with 200,000 users, and he's working on a fascinating product called Podcast Hawk, which is a service that'll help people get booked on podcast interviews, hint, hint, like this one. Hey, hey, we're networking all over the place. Raised in all of this without any venture capital or loans or anything like that. And just because if that's not enough, he's also traveled all over the world, grew up in lots of different places. He's a former US Peace Corps volunteer and a competitive sword fighter. So we're talking about all different kinds of great stuff in here. If you've ever wanted to create a business or learn more just about the whole entrepreneurial side of things, Ray has got you covered. There's lots of great stuff in here. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can do so in a couple different ways. Reach out via email, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com or follow the show at GPCT Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. And of course, you can always buy some merch at goodpeoplecoolthings.com slash shop. Now let's chat with Ray. All right, Ray, I'm going to try a new bid out with you. So I hope you're hope you're ready for it. Let's do it. I have been asking people to just kind of give me their elevator pitch, but we want to dive a little deeper. So I want you to describe the elevator that we're on and then tell me all about you. That sounds good. So the elevator we're on is one of those old bronze elevators where you kind of have those kind of screen doors you got to pull to the side when you get inside. Ooh. And then the buttons are kind of those black buttons on a bronze kind of button thing. So you kind of push them in. They're really kind of old school. And when you go up, it's like totally open on all the sides. So you actually see the stairs kind of doing a spiral around you as you're kind of going up to your floor. Nice. The and I'll I be like honest, that. that was the elevator to my apartment in Turkey when I was growing up, which is a segue to my elevator pitch. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so my here's my 10 cent tour. And I'll try to keep it short because I tend to be verbose. I am a Filipino American. My dad's from the US. My mother's from the Philippines. I was born in the Philippines when my dad was a Peace Corps volunteer in the Philippines. At 11 months old, I moved to Turkey. I spent the next 15 years there. Turkish is my first language. Um, 15 years old, moved back to the US, the Boston, Massachusetts area. Stayed there for two years. Went to college in Ohio. Stuck around, worked at, I'm a computer programmer by training, did the Fortune 500 companies, did Silicon Valley startups for a few years, got bored, went, thought there was more to life. So I joined the Peace Corps as well at 28 years old, got sent to Southern Mexico where I worked in indigenous communities, helping them out there, but also writing some computer systems. Met my wife who was also Peace Corps staff from Mexico. And that led me into starting my own businesses afterwards. My first two businesses I started with my wife. Fantastic. Where's where's your favorite place that you've lived? That I've lived? Uh, well, it depends on the phases you are in your life, right? I will, no offense, but Ohio is not one of them. So you know, <laughs> I, I was there for a while. I'm like, that's not going to make the list. Um, I really loved where I was stationed, the Peace Corps. But a lot of, I think you got, everybody will relate. Where you live has a lot to do with the memories you build there. Not mm. necessarily with the physical place you're, you are, right? So San Cristobal de las Casas, it was in, in the mountains in Southern Mexico. Everybody thinks Mexico's hot. I did as well. So I show up there with my shorts and t-shirt and it is like, you know, 25 degrees outside. I mean, it was freezing. There was frost, you know, we're 7,000 feet in the air, like higher up in Colorado. I was really cold, um, but it's beautiful. Green mountains up there, waterfalls. And I, you know, a city of about 180,000 people, very active indigenous, you know, community there. Um, 
but also very international because it's kind of known. So there was like, you know, Argentinian restaurant, there was an Indian restaurant, all the rest of it while I was there as well. Um, really, really enjoyed living there. I did enjoy growing up in Istanbul, Turkey. I have a lot of wonderful memories there as well. So I would put those two places probably as my favorite places to live. Wonderful. Yeah. Istanbul's on my list. I hear nothing but great things. So I've been back one in like day when we can years. travel again. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> it's changed a lot since I've been there apparently, but yeah, I still have great memories down there. Fantastic. Fantastic. So I do want to get to all of your business and entrepreneurial mm -hmm. guidance, but first I need to know, because you are a competitive sword fighter, yeah, what, what does that entail? How did you get into that? What, what's the career highlight of being? Yeah, well, actually I was on the US fighter. national team, um, awesome. I guess would be the career highlight to it. So there's <laughs> my sword fighting is I practice a Japanese martial art called Kendo, which is to simplify it, Japanese fencing. Um, but it's a lot more full contact than European fencing. I did do European fencing for two years before that. But with kendo, you essentially have these big wooden swords. You look like you're dressed up like a foot American football player with the kind of gear you have on. Because and even then, you're going to be covered in welts, and it, it hurts when they hit you. Um, and that's it. And I've been doing it now for 17 years. So I was competitive back when I was in my 20s. I'm not in my 20s anymore. So I'm still decent. But yeah, I mean, you know, you, you're just not as fast as you were, you know, back at your peak. So is that kind of the the peak of um, most fencing careers is in the 20s and then it's just kind of... Well, it is in the kind of international competition. But the thing about kendo is it's one of the few martial arts people practice their entire lives. So they actually have different divisions for like the 30, 40 and 60 year olds. And the way it works and this... Kendo is actually, I love the philosophy it has for life. In, in kendo, there are only four moves in the entire martial art for the most part. There are four attacks. There are no defenses. Um, you, you don't block because the philosophy behind blocking is if I attack you and you block, there's only two possible outcomes. Either I break your block and I win or you don't block in time and I win. Mm -hmm. So why are you <laughs> going to teach something where the best outcome is that the other person, you know, the best outcome is that you keep them from winning, but you don't actually do anything. So what they teach you to do is attack when you're attacked. And since it's fencing, you kind of have to gain the center. So if you both attack at the same time and you're stronger, the other person will be deviated and you'll kind of go straight in, right? So you don't ever defend in kendo. But my senseis have been practicing for 40 or 50 years. And there's some of them, I know I'm stronger than they are. Like, you know, I mean, I'm six foot tall, 190 pounds, and I work out every morning in the gym. But I still can't break their center in their experience. So it's this kind of martial art where, you know, you can do it your entire life and you can still be up to a point competitive. They're not going to compete in their, you know, the nationals. I got my butt kicked in the nationals in the first round. I mean, the internet, the national, when we went to Japan to compete, I mean, you know, I'm decent for the U.S., but you go against the real professionals who've been doing this since they were 10, I, I got, <laughs> you know, they wiped the floor with me. Um, but it's teaches you a lot about life and about business, right? you spend your entire life practicing four things and becoming really good at them, probably going good at one or two of them. The other ones you just need to be passing, right? At the other, those attacks, they're just not your, you know, not your strength. And you wake up every morning and you, you know, you just try to get better at that. There's no magic trick. There's no silver bullet. There's not, you know, it's not like if you watch, you know, that one attack, that you know, the karate kick kid, you know, yeah. train kick that beats everyone. There's, <laughs> there's no such thing, right? It's just getting these things right. And I think that taught me a lot about life. Um, I'm a lot more disciplined as a result of it. Business is the same. Life is the same with your relationships. You know, it's not about being great one day. It's about just waking up every morning, putting in the practice, putting in the effort. And I think that's, Kendo's taught me all of that. I love that. And I, this is a, a very obscure tangent, but I've been playing a lot of Jackbox lately. I don't know if you've, you've dabbled mm -hmm. at all, but the Trivia Murder Party, 
uh, where one of the, this for, for listeners that have not played Jackbox, essentially it's a trivia game. If you get an answer wrong, you play a mini game and have a chance to stay alive. Otherwise, uh, your little voodoo puppet gets brutally killed. Uh, it's wonderful. <laughs> Highly recommend. But one of the games is there's a pile of money on the floor and you can either, uh, or no, I'm sorry. That's, that's another one that's the s- same kind of thing. The other one is you both have swords and you both have shields and you can either choose to both attack or to defend. And there, I forget exactly how the game does it. I think it's like someone has to die. <laughs> like that's the rule. It's like someone <laughs> has to. And if you both block, he just picks someone. And if you both attack, he just picks someone to win. But there's like no benefit to blocking because it's like either the other person's going to block and you'll attack. And it's like, oh, this person was cowardly. So like, blah. Mm-hmm. or if you both attack, then you have a chance of, of making it. That's yeah. exactly, and that's usually how it is in life. Just you know, attacking, being mm-hmm. on the offensive, and I don't mean it in like a violent way. Yeah, we're not trying to take out the mailman life. or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, yeah, yeah, don't go swing a sword <laughs> in your local neighborhood or anything. But you know, keeping an eye out for opportunity and then jumping on it, if you look at it that way, is a great lesson for life because a lot of the people who succeed, it's a matter of jumping on it, opportunities that they see, and the people who fail are those who don't jump on the opportunities that they see. Um, I found that in business. I found that, you know, in life as well. It's not, you know, opportunities come. We can't always control those, but we can control how ready we are when we see them. And it sounds like you've done that pretty regularly throughout your business now, a, a decade and a half of uh, building and, yeah, I feel and selling old. businesses. No, it's experienced. It's experienced. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's it's all, it. That's it's all about it. how like... you position it. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to keep that in mind for future interviews, right? I'm, I'm yes, experienced. I am yeah. wise beyond my years. Um, so you, you've had a lot of experience with this. How did you get into building and then selling businesses? And I imagine, again, there's a lot of opportunities that you seize to, to make all this happen. Yeah. So before getting into the business side, we'll talk about those opportunities, right? So one of the things I always repeat is I always think there are two types of entrepreneurs in the world. The first type is the visionary. And that's the kind most of us romanticize and kind of read about in the books, right? The guy who invented Steve Jobs, invented the iPhone. We didn't even know we needed the (laughs) iPhone, but now we do need the iPhone. Um, Elon Musk, right? You know, moonshot kind of entrepreneurs, visionaries. I'm not one of those. (laughs) I'm the second kind of entrepreneur, which is the person who sees a need, or as we've been calling it, an opportunity, looks for a solution, doesn't find it, and says, hey, instead of giving up, it's like, oh, well, there's no way to do that. I build it. That is the way I've been doing entrepreneurship over the years. And the beauty of it is the kind of more businesses you build, the more needs you see, and the more opportunities there are. So, you know, just by taking the first step as an entrepreneur, you're kind of on that journey. Um, And even if your first business fails, you're probably... There might be a reason it failed because no, you were missing this one piece because, you know, to connect, you weren't able to find the clients through LinkedIn, for example, right? So you, at the time there was nothing to do it. So you built that way. Mm-hmm. So your next business is building what you were missing. And then if you were missing it, chances are somebody else's needs that as well. So that's kind of how a lot of the business opportunities come up. So for me, it was exactly that journey. So since I was a kid, everybody always said I was going to be an entrepreneur and I never believed them. I was there. I'm like, no, I liked computers. I'm like, I'm going to be a computer programmer. 
that's what I'm mm. going to be when I'm older. But I'd be that kid at the bake sales at school where they, you know, they would give me their cakes to sell because I'd be like, yeah, yeah, come on over. I'd make these ridiculous stories about it. And, you know, if their cake was messed up, I'm like, this cake is straight from Chernobyl. Because, <laughs> you know, back then I was living in Turkey and Chernobyl I, I had actually happened. I'm like, radiation there. I'm selling it at a bargain, you know, and I would actually sell all the slices of the cake. And everybody's like, Ray, one day you're going to own a million dollar business. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I love computers. I'm going to be a programmer. So I never really thought much about it. So I went to college studied computer programming, worked in Silicon Valley, Fortune 500 companies as a computer programmer in the United States. But I remember I was 26 years old and there was a commercial on TV for the US Navy. And I tell everybody, I wouldn't had no intention of joining the Navy. If somebody starts shooting at me, I am running the other way as fast as physically possible. But I love the saying in there and I use it as like a guiding post for my life right now. And they, the saying was, if they write a book about your life, will anybody want to read it? And I remember thinking at the time, I was a computer programmer sitting in a cube writing code 40 hours a week. And I'm like, yeah, on this path, I wouldn't read my own book. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm making a good salary. I'm comfortable. The company I work for is great. They're not treating me badly. I don't hate my job. But I don't want to be look back on my life 40 years down the road saying, I worked at a job I didn't mind. Mm -hmm. That's it. I mean, you know, that, that's pretty much all you can do. Um, so literally... A few weeks after that commercial came out, I went online and applied for a job in the Peace Corps. I knew what the Peace Corps was because my dad was in the Peace Corps. Uh, I was born while he was in the Peace Corps. So for those who don't know, Peace Corps is a two-year volunteer opportunity where you get to go to another country. They pay you peanuts. I made about $200 a month. But for the local community you live in, it actually probably gives you about a middle, middle class lifestyle for wherever you're living. And the idea is you kind of go and learn about a new culture, teach that culture about the American culture a little bit. Don't go there with the idea that I'm American and I know everything, but you know, just kind of so that they know what really an American is because most of them have never met one. They've just seen it on TV. And then when you're done, you come back to the United States and you share the culture you learned about back in the United States. So it's the whole point of this, um, of the program was started by John F. Kennedy. So I applied for that, quit my, you know, almost six figure job in the United States and started working for $200 a month, met my wife. She was Peace Corps staff. So she was one of the people who trained us to prepare to go out, you know, working for uh, working in these communities. And when we were done, we were in our late twenties and we're like, look, she'd always wanted to launch a Spanish school. Her training is as a Spanish teacher. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. We're young. We're lucky that we, you know, we get along great with our parents. Worst case scenario, it doesn't work. We move back in with our parents a few months. I'm a computer programmer. You're a bilingual teacher. She, she studied it. UTA nice. in Austin. Exactly. So, you know, we'll get jobs. We'll probably make solid six figures in the United States. That's the worst case scenario. And that's really not that bad. Mm. Right. I mean, you know, so we did it and luckily it worked. The first business we launched was successful right away. The second business we launched, which is Live Lingua, um, which came out of the first business was also successful. Then I failed a whole bunch of times. <laughs> uh, you know, I failed a whole ton of times after that. Um, but I found out I really love entrepreneurship. And one of the things that I found out is, you know, that whole follow your passion thing, mm -hmm. complete BS. Um, I, I totally believe in building your passion. You know, if you practice something and become good at it, it will become your passion. Going back to the kendo thing. I always loved martial arts as a kid because, you know, I was that skinny Asian kid in school who got picked last for the dodgeball team. I mean, I was really bad at sports. So I always fantasize when you saw those old cheesy Kung Fu movies. I want to be that guy. You know, there's always that kid who's beat up all the time. And at the end, you know, the karate kid. So I kind of really loved martial arts, but then I tried like five of them and I was really bad at all until I found Kendo and I kind of had a knack for it. So I'm like, okay, that's it. And I found, and I practiced and I, now I love Kendo. I mean, it's the one thing about COVID I'm an introvert. So being at home all day is not really a big deal to me, but 
I miss practicing kendo. And you can't, you know, you can't social distance with the ideas to hit somebody else. Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) exactly. Um, And I found the same thing about entrepreneurship. It's not that I kind of went into this thing. I've always dreamed about being an entrepreneur. We already went over that, right? Mm -hmm. When I was 10, I'm like, no, I don't want to be an entrepreneur. But now that I've been doing it for 12 years, it's my sport. I could talk about it all day long. I love it. I, you know, in my free time, I will just think about different things to do business around marketing, HR, copywriting. I mean, that to me is just, you know, fascinating. But it was because I built that passion. It wasn't there when I started all this off. And you said that it was pretty immediately successful. Um, we got lucky. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll totally admit um, for the first two businesses, there was a, a little bit of luck. Well, quite a bit of luck, like on any businesses involved. Um, first business we launched was a brick and mortar language school in Mexico. So it was kind of a traditional school where Americans, Canadians, primarily some people from Europe would come down. We place them with a Mexican family and they'd study Spanish with us in the school during the day. We'd have activities and tours and stuff like that at night. Um, I didn't have much of a business background. Again, my background's engineering. I had a little bit of management. I was a team lead, so I kind of had, knew how to manage small teams, but I knew nothing about marketing. So I'm like, look, we have no money. The only money we have is the $2,000 the Peace Corps gave me when I left, and that was supposed to be to buy a plane ticket back to the United States. That's all my wife and I had. Um, so how do you market these things? So I researched online and I found something called SEO. This is back 2007, right? Um, so I taught myself SEO over the next six months. By the time our school launched, we were number one in Mexico, because one thing I learned pretty early on is none of the other Spanish schools in Mexico even knew what SEO was. And if they did, they didn't have a full-time SEO on staff, which is what I was. Mm -hmm. So, you know, by the time we opened our doors, we were number one in the country. You wanted to come to Mexico to study Spanish, we'd be the first school you'd run across no matter what keyword pretty much you did a search for Google on. What do people think? People think that if it's number one in Google, it's the best. Mm -hmm. So pretty much we were fully booked before we even launched people would just be signing up for us. So the first day that we launched, we had, we had no money, remember? So the, we would sleep in the school because we couldn't afford our own place. We rented out this old historic building in the town we were in, Querétaro. Um, we couldn't afford furniture for all the rooms. So we, we had an inflatable mattress, which had a hole in it. So we would sleep and it would be inflated and we'd wake up on the floor. We'd roll it up, put it under my office desk by 7 a.m. because that's when the students started arriving. Then we would take like, you know, our dinner table that we used the night before and we'd put it in a room and that's where people would have the classes. And we'd actually change where that table was in different rooms so that people would think we had multiple classrooms because we couldn't afford four tables. Um, And that's how we started. But luckily we got fully booked. People would pay us our deposit, you know, the 20% deposit, pay the deposit, let's go out and buy a table. I mean, we can buy some tables and chairs. So we did that. A day before they arrived, we'd be, you know, up till 11 o'clock at night getting that classroom up in order because, you know, the classroom didn't, didn't exist 24 hours before you actually arrived. They didn't know that, but, you know, the classroom did. And that's how we built the school up, uh, eventually having three different branches around Mexico. That's fantastic. I think a great example of like the bootstrapping mentality that you need to have. That's all I know how to do. Yeah. You give me money to start a business, I wouldn't even know what to do with it. I have... <laughs> Built multiple six and seven figure businesses. Every single one's bootstrapped. I've never taken a loan or taken BC money. So is that moving the table around the school? Is that your your best example? I imagine you have lots of great examples of uh, a bootstrapping in action. So is there another one or two that you'd yeah. like to share? Yeah, sure. So the next bootstrap, and this goes back to what we've been talking about pretty much this whole interview, right? It's looking for opportunities. Mm-hmm. So a year into the business, we were doing pretty well, but you know, 
not like we had a huge amount of savings. Brick and mortar businesses now I know because I've been an online business, the profit margin is much lower, right? You got to pay rent. Usually when you employ it's full-time staff. So we're talking about benefits, health and all the rest of it, right? Online, you can hire people as contractors um, and you can avoid a lot of these things. So a year into it, you know, we were making enough to live comfortably in Mexico. It wouldn't have been a much of a salary. Probably we were making like $30,000 profit a year between both of us. Um, but in Mexico, that's a comfortable middle upper class lifestyle. Um, and then the swine flu hit. Mm. So, you know, swine, for those who don't remember, the swine flu was supposed to be COVID, right? I mean, they, they closed Mexico off. No planes out, no planes in. So obviously our business shut down overnight. The only people who showed up were three doctors from the United States who thought the whole thing were overblown and they kind of stayed with us, but that wasn't even enough to pay the rent. Um, so it was actually my wife who had the idea of saying, why don't we email all of our former students for the last year? They really loved our school. My wife is one of those like, born teachers. You know, she, when she was four years old, she would pretend to be a teacher with her <laughs> dolls. So, you know, they knew she was going to be a teacher. So people loved our school and they're like, why don't we contact them and see if they want classes over Skype? Not everybody knows what Skype is because, you know, this is 2006, mm -hmm. 2007. Um, but let's see if they want that. Maybe the computer engineer, um, like, why don't we just throw up a website and just offer that in general too, right? So we emailed it out. We got a great reception. So I'm like, I threw up this dinky website. I'm a programmer, not a designer is what I tell people. So I'm the guy who you click the submit button at the bank and then something fancy happens in the back. I write that. <laughs> Making a, the submit button look pretty. I have no idea how to do that at all. So I put up this ugly, ugly website, did SEO. And suddenly we were number one in the world for Skype Spanish lessons. And to our surprise, two things happened. Within a month, swine flu ended, our school was fully booked again. Um, within three months, we were making more money off of our Skype Spanish lessons than our school, which was like, wow. So we had the early mover advantage. We might not have been the first in the world, but we were one of the first people in the world to do these kind of online language lessons, only Spanish at the time. Um, so for a while, it just stayed as a side hustle, this whole Skype Spanish lessons. Again, you're talking bootstrapping, no money, $50 is what it's, you know, it's a, we're the third largest online language school in the world right now. And we started for $50. That's what it costs for Bluehost hosting back 12 years ago for a year. Oh, right? that's a steal. Domain. Oh, no, no, I know. This is still pretty reasonable. It's like yeah, 70, it's 80 bucks right now. So it hasn't gone up a huge amount, but you know, 50 bucks. So that's what Love we did. It. We'll get our affiliate sales from that as well. Yeah. Well, that's it. I think they give you the 70 bucks or so. It's affiliate. They give you more affiliate than the thing, yeah, that's great. Um, than the actual cost. <laughs> so launched the business. It did well. Eventually I built 11 other mini sites because back in the day, that's what you did instead of one mm -hmm. branded site. Um, and that was the beginning of live lingua until 2012 where Google changed their algorithm and every single site disappeared from Google and I built it again. So I've built live lingua twice. So that's when we rebranded as live lingua, the website existed, but it was like our corporate page and all these other sites were like part of the live lingua network. I don't remember what I said. Um, and then, but since I had the page, I rebuilt it as live lingua, put all the languages in there and rebuilt it again, 2012, 2015, we won entrepreneur magazine, one of the best small businesses in the United States. Um, and we've done pretty well since then, all of it, but from our house, we have never had an office. We're a small team. I mean, I work in my pajamas. I have to change out of them for this interview. Um, even though it's already the you afternoon, been in I probably still fine, be, yeah. I know, but you never know with the podcast host, right? Someone will be offended by I'll it. show up in a suit so, next time. Really throw exactly. I'm like, what, what? Yeah. So that was, you know, another one of our bootstrap stories was literally just doing that, seeing this time we had the need and kind of being a little innovative to try it out. Nice. I love that. Love that story. And you've continued growing these businesses. And mm -hmm. I I mean, there's a couple from from doing my, my creeping around on you that I'd love to <laughs> talk with. I think first, you 
run a chocolate factory. I sold my shares in that two oh, years you, ago. You, you yes. had one, yes. Um, okay, so you had a chocolate that's factory. That's correct. How how accurate is uh, Willy Wonka to what a chocolate factory is really like? Almost exactly accurate, except Oompa Loompas are actually kind of green instead of blue. Okay, perfect. That, perfect. That's it. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> that was, that's an, actually an interesting story. I mean, honestly, I don't like chocolate. I'm a gummy bears guy myself. So, uh, you know, I was going to ask, yeah, are you, are you a chocolate fan? But no, 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 I'm not. <laughs> to me, a high quality chocolate bar is Snickers. I actually okay. really like Snickers bars, but you know, you give me like 70% cocoa. I can, I can't eat that stuff. Oh my God. I, I'm not a big fan. You need those, Luckily, my those wife is. sugars. So yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's it. I need sugar in my chocolate. My wife loves chocolate. So luckily it did help out our marriage that we ran <laughs> that we ran a chocolate factory and I had unlimited chocolate supply. It was from Southeast Asia. So shipping it over to, to Mexico from the Philippines was not always the most uh, practical thing in the world, let's say. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, okay, so we don't we don't have to dive into the chocolate then, since that's that's your you said you're a gummy bears guy. I'm a gummy like, bears okay. guy. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. I mean, I'm happy to dive into the chocolate. I mean, I'm still friends with the owner. She bought my shares. It wasn't like anything went wrong. It just basically wasn't making enough money to warrant, warrant the work okay. that I was putting into it. Um, it was making good money by Filipino standards, but that's not the same as making good money by U.S. standards. I had other businesses that were making enough more money than that for like three hours a week compared <laughs> to me putting 20 hours a week managing a factory. Mm -hmm. So I sold her my share. She bought it off in a year. We still chat. She still sends us Christmas cards and chocolate. You know, we're still on very good terms with the Ginto chocolates. I'll put a plug nice. for it. Nice. Ginto yeah, chocolates if you ever go to the plugs. Philippines. All the plugs. Exactly. Go yeah. to the Philippines. Go to the supermarkets. You will find Ginto chocolates. We're one of the two Belgian chocolate companies in the Philippines. Fantastic. Fantastic. And one company that you I, are still running, this is one of your primary businesses, is Twidgicate, mm -hmm. uh, which is a social network with 200,000 users. Is that correct? More than that probably I'm now? I think it's a little over. Yeah, okay. I haven't checked in the last week or two. It usually, Twidgicate is a social is a social network walled garden for K through 12 generally in the United States and Canada. We do actually have a decent amount of users from South America as well. Um, I put it in Spanish once I learned Spanish here in Mexico and we get quite a lot of users from that. Um, and yeah, we have about 200,000 users that are using it. Um, teachers and students, they go in there. We, you know, if you're watching our traffic, we have a very, you know, obviously a big dip in the summers. Nobody uses it. And then this, once the school year starts, we have a big uh, spike. And it's essentially kind of like your private Facebook group for, for students. But we don't ask for student contact information. So it's a lot of the privacy concerns that are out there. So when you add a student, you just add a code. So one, two, three, four, five, six, put a password. And that's it. So I have no idea who your students are. I have, don't have their emails. I have no way to contact them. So it gives, and it's not like Facebook that this classroom can contact this classroom at another school, right? The teacher has entire control over, they build it, they create their own little classrooms. They can put separate students in them or they can have, you know, break the students into groups and, and all that kind of stuff. And people are able to use it and teachers are using it in amazing creative ways. They, you know, homework is to go on to Twidgicate and pretend you're a character from Shakespeare and everybody talks as if they're like Macbeth or Hamlet or something like that. And they have to type as if they're in character while they're doing it as their homework assignment. So there's a lot of cool ways people use it. That sounds wonderful. There was, uh, there was a class I was in in college that had a forum uh, where we could like chat amongst each other. And mm -hmm. I, <laughs> this, this is less educational than Shakespeare, but <laughs> I, this was around the time I, when I was regularly watching South Park. And there's an episode where uh, Mickey Mouse comes in and he's like, 
Uh, he's, you know, this like tyrant, basically. He's just like this one little, fl- <laughs> but he's like marching around. He's like, oh, I'm going to kill oh, all of you. Now I remember that. Yeah. And he's like, they, they based him off of like King Jong-un from yeah. North Korea. They pretty much, yeah, I remember that. And he, yeah. uh, and uh, so a friend and I had watched that episode and had a full on conversation, like as Mickey Mouse to each other. And the professor had no idea what we were quoting, but she was just so <laughs> excited that we were participating. So she was like, great engagement, everyone. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> but yes, I, I can totally vouch that speaking in character. So simple yeah. yet so fun. It is. And I mean, my my respects to teachers, most of my businesses, not all of them, most of them have been in education. And I come from a family of academics. You know, my grandfather was professor at Harvard, um, all the rest of it. I'm the black sheep because I'm not an academic, but I ended up going into entrepreneurship with academics. I mean, you know, that's pretty much, you know, who I've been working with. My wife is a teacher too. So um, I have so much respect for teachers. I mean, you know, what they do, I could never do it. I'm an awful teacher. Oh, if I, I hate repeating myself. Yeah. So if I repeat, you know, if you don't get it the first time, I'll just whack my students upside the head. I'm like, <laughs> what, you didn't get it? And yeah, apparently that's not what good teachers do. So I totally respect <laughs> Yeah, I, I, uh, every time we had to do like a student teaching in school, I was just like further confirmation. It's not for me. Like I, I appreciate yeah. everything teachers do, but like you, I could not do it. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't, I don't have the patience for it. They're angels compared to me. <laughs> so one other business that you are currently working on, I believe you're launching this later this year or in 2021 uh, with podcast. Podcast Hawk. Hawk. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be launching in 2021 okay. in January. Um, yeah. I'm actually really excited. I haven't been at, that excited about a business this is excited about a business in quite a while um so the origin of podcast hawk is interesting it's like all my businesses it's it's about looking for a need mm-hmm. and then nobody's filling that need and i oh my God, instead of just moping about it i build it myself right so here's the the idea was for livelingua.com we've built it primarily on search engine optimization right so it's built around the idea of google search but that puts you at the whim of google right they can change their algorithm tomorrow and suddenly you use their students and that's very stressful for me um, so I'm like, Hey, what is another way that we can market? So I tried Facebook ads. I tried Google ads. They never really were profitable for us. At best we broke even, um, we still run them, but you know, they're not a huge, I can, it's not something I can just turn scale up and suddenly we get millions of dollars in mm-hmm. students either. Um, I've had my own podcasts in the past. Um, uh, I don't have any active interview ones right now. I did launch this new Spanish one. I recorded 170 episodes in two weeks. Woo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that launched on Monday. So that, we'll see how that goes. Um, but I wanted to say, I'm like, hey, why don't I try to appear on other podcasts, right? That's a great way to promote the business, getting in front of the right audience. So I went on like, okay, how hard could that be? Let me just go to Google and find some podcasts and I'll reach out to them. Yeah, if anybody's tried that, they know that's not that easy. Um, so you go on Google and you're like, okay, I want to appear on business podcasts. Just for example, you get some, the results are hit or miss. Um, you know, some of either some of them are just too big, you know, like Pat Flynn's podcast mm-hmm. or Tim Ferriss's podcast. I'm like, yeah, they're not, they're not having me on there. You know, that they, they need to have New York Times bestsellers or some of the other ones you're looking at. I'm like, oh, I found the email. And then you look, they haven't made a new episode in two years. I'm like, oh, now I just spent the last 30 minutes looking for this guy's email on his website and they don't even do a podcast anymore. So I spent a day doing that. And at the end of the day, I had like 50 emails. And I remember thinking, I'm like, okay, I'm a marketer. I'm, I'm going to expect 1% to 2% response rate from this. So I just spent an entire day to get maybe on one podcast, two if I'm lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you do the math out for yourself. If you bill out at $25 an hour and you just spend eight, eight hours doing it, you spend a, a decent chunk of change, right? If you bill out at more, you've spent even more time. 
So I remember thinking, I'm like, wait a minute, what am I doing? I'm a computer programmer. There's got to be a more automated way that I can do this. So I did some research. I developed my own MVP. I kind of did my own use case to see if this was possible. And I discovered it was. So what I've been able to do is I've been able to get all the active podcasts on iTunes and Spotify into my database. Not only the, the podcast, but their episodes and their reviews into my database. And what Podcast Talk allows you to do is two things. First off, it's a podcast search engine, which so you would go in there. Let's say, Joe, you want to appear on music podcasts for your band, right? You want to promote your band. So you go in there and you're like, I want podcasts in the music category that do interviews that have made episodes in the last 30 days and have the word, whatever genre of, what kind of, what genre of music do you guys play? Rock music. There you go. So, and it has to have the word rock music in some of their podcast episodes so that you know they interview rock bands, right? You hit, you hit search, takes a few seconds, boom. Every podcast out of the 1.2 million in the world that have, that fall into your category suddenly appear there on the list. You go through, you clean it up, see if, you know, some might not be perfect fits based on the criteria. Then you hit a button says campaign. You hit campaign. All it does there is you fill out four, four different forms for your outreach emails. The first one's the main one. And then there's a follow-up three days later, another one, seven days later, all the rest of it. We'll have templates for you, but I strongly recommend everybody to kind of personalize it because this is your pitch, right? To these podcasters. Then you hit save and you're done. What does, what does podcast talk do now? Depending on your plan, it either sends out 25, 50 or hundred emails a day to the people on your list, depending on your list. Like, I mean, like for music, there are thousands, hmm. tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there. So every single day, it'll send out emails to these people based on your criteria. Sending out your pitch, we take care of all of it. If any one of them answers, we forward it to you and you just appeared on a podcast. That's what it does. So pretty much it's getting booked on podcasts on autopilot. That's what Podcast Hawk will help you do. As a comparison, you know, the other side is I did the search. That's a lot of money. So I'm like, there must be somebody who does this. So I went and talked to some podcast booking agencies. They're like, we'll get you on five to 10 podcasts, $3,000. I'm sitting there, I'm like, no, I'm not going <laughs> to pay you three grand for this. Um, the beauty of Podcast Talk is literally, you know, depending on the plan, I'll be charging $150 to $250 a month. You know, on the high end, it's $250, on the low end, $150. Like, I did the math. I'm like, you could pay for two years of Podcast Talk for the same money. And if you just got 1% of reviews, you know, 1% responses, even on the lowest level, we're talking like 50 or 60 podcast interviews for the same thing that these other companies are going to be charging you for five. Um, and it's on a much more reasonable rate, right? You kind of pick it. If you go at our higher end with podcast talk, where we send out a thousand emails a month and you get 1%, you know, 1% response rate. If you have a great story, you can probably get two or 3%, mm -hmm. right? But let's just say you get a 1% response rate. That's 10 podcast interviews a month. That means pretty much any, every other workday, you're going to be on a podcast. Imagine what they can do for your personal brand, for your band, for your business to appear on all these podcasts and be known as the expert in whatever it is that you are trying to become the expert in. And the beauty about appearing on other people's podcasts instead of doing your own, and I probably shouldn't say this when I'm on somebody else's podcast, <laughs> but I've done it before, is podcasting is work, right? Finding guests is work. Um, you have to edit it or you have to pay somebody to edit it. Then you do the show notes and you got to put it all up. By being a guest on somebody else's podcast, you're not doing any of that stuff. You show up, you get to talk about something you're passionate about. And then a few weeks later, a few months later, sometimes a few days later, it's all up there on the web for somebody else. So they've kind of done the promotion for you. If you're doing SEO, one of the important things about podcasts is of course, having a link back to your website. It's also link building. So on multiple levels, it's a wonderful marketing tool that so far has not been 
taken advantage of, um, not only for the business size, but I'm also hoping to help out the podcasters, right? Because sometimes it's hard to find good guests. Wouldn't it be great if the good guests reached out to you and all you had to do was pick through them? So that's another thing that podcast talk, I'm hoping to make this whole process a lot simpler for both ends, people who want to be on the podcast and for podcasters who want to have amazing guests. Because if they filter out the right things, they'll, you'll only be getting pitches from people who are relevant to you. You're mm. not going to be getting pitches from somebody who runs an ice cream store in New York City, right? Because they could put you in there, but they're, they're wasting their own money because they're sending emails out to people who are never, ever, you know, instead of the 1% response rate, they're going to get like 0.001% response because they're just emailing everybody and it's relevant. Yeah, it's always, you can always tell when the people have not done even the, the most yeah. like smallest modicum of research. That's it. Yeah. And podcast thought will do all of that for you, right? Because you've already put in the search criteria, the, the research, the basic research is done for you. And then you just do the outreach. We'll have a score in there as well. So for example, if somebody has a really popular podcast, well, it's going to be from zero to a hundred. So I, you know, what I'm going to recommend is if the score is above an 80, you can customize the outreach for those, right? Mm -hmm. So you can go into our system and have custom emails for those guys. And then everybody who's below it, get more of a standard template where you can customize certain parts of it, but it will be a little more standard. You don't have to kind of spend your time writing personalized emails for lower level um, podcasters at the beginning because you're trying to get on there. It's helping both people at that point. If you and I appeared on Pat Flynn or Tim Ferriss, we're not helping Tim Ferriss or Pat <laughs> Flynn. Honestly, he's helping us. So we better have to do that extra work, right? Yeah, and I, I can... This will be my uh, having not used the platform, but just based on how you've described it, I will certainly give it my two thumbs up as someone who has recently been looking at uh, basketball and pop culture podcasts to appear on to promote a, a newsletter that I've started that combines basketball and pop culture. And yes, it's exactly like that. You'll you'll say, oh, this is a perfect fit. It's like they talk basketball, but they're not about box scores and just like yelling at each other like sports talk radio often is and i'm like that has no appeal to me but i i'm like this is perfect and then you check and it's like oh november 19 2018 is the last time that's it that you uh you did an episode cool and you've just spaced the 30 minutes to an hour of your time yeah. right just kind of going through it doing that yeah but this you would that, that guy would never show up if you say i want an active podcast um some of the other uses of it in the future i'm thinking about and that i haven't it's not gonna be built into it yet um you can actually maybe buy podcasts, right? These inactive podcasts, you can go out there and buy them. People aren't using them for anything. You can just, you know, download them, add some ads for whatever your, your in your case, your newsletter. So you find this old inactive basketball podcast that still shows up on iTunes when you search for basketball podcasts. So people still listen to it, but they haven't created a new episode in two years. So all you have to do is download those, you know, buy it mm -hmm. for pennies on the dollar. I mean, you know, compared to making one, you know, you, let's say you give them 500 bucks and they give you like a hundred episodes. Download them, add an ad for your newsletter to it, upload it again. So all the new listeners go in the future and now you just have free advertising for life on that podcast. And anybody who listens to it will know about your newsletter as well. So you won't even have to create all that stuff. So that's another use I'm looking for. That won't be in the beta launch or probably in the first year, but it's something I'm looking at down the road. Yeah, I think that's a real smart thing. I mean, you see it with, even though I think it's against their terms of service with Instagram accounts and with websites too, of being mm -hmm. like, hey, this is a great website or account. It's still getting traffic. It's just not having I do any that. new content. Yeah. I just bought howmuchtoiletpaper.com. Nice, nice. And the uh, as a side story, there's no business there yet. But the reason I bought it was exactly that. It was made by this guy in, um, in the UK. It's a calculator that figures out how much toilet paper you need, right? COVID. It went viral. I mean, the Daily Show mentioned it. It was all mm -hmm. over the place. So much to my envy, it has more backlinks than LiveLingua. I've been working to work, build backlinks to LiveLingua for 10 years. It had more backlinks in a month. So I picked it up for pennies on the dollar. 
I mean, literally backlinks for like a dollar each. Like, you know, if you think about it, I paid like a dollar for a backlink from BBC, CNN, you know, all these big websites. And now it's just sitting there. Now I have ideas of businesses I'm going to throw on there on the future. But that's exactly what you were talking about. I bought this for that. I mean, it's, it's whatever business I throw on there within reason will rank number one in Google. Um, has to be something in the bathroom toilet area. But, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking to start an e-commerce store once this whole COVID thing passes. Right now, there's issues with shipping from China. I talked to some e-commerce friends um, and they say, if you've never done this before, this is not the time to start. So <laughs> I'm going to hold on to the website for a year. But I, it's like buying, I like to say, it's like buying property in downtown your city. It's like buying, you bought this plot of land in downtown Austin. Mm -hmm. You don't really know what you're going to do with it yet. But you have a plot of land in downtown Austin. I mean, you know. You can do worse. <laughs> you can do, yeah. I mean, you can put whatever building you put on there eventually. It's probably going to be successful because you're, you're there. So that's kind of the way I look at it. Nobody's doing that with podcasts. I hope to be the first one to kind of start that movement. It might be part of podcast talk. It might be its own thing in the future once I get to it. Um, like, you know, I bought all these domains with podcasts and animals. So, you know, it'll be like podcast wolf or something nice. like that. Um, but it might be a marketplace where you can buy and sell podcasts, inactive podcasts. Awesome. I mean, I think that sounds wonderful. And I, I mean, I think both of us can talk about podcasts for forever, but I don't want to keep exactly. you for too long. So we'll, we'll, I, I, I do want to uh, cover the question. I always like to ask what's a question you mm -hmm. wish you were asked more frequently. And I loved yours as someone who has started many businesses, which is why shouldn't you start your own business? That's the, the reason I brought that up is about two years ago, I started speaking at conferences to get out of my comfort zone. Most people don't believe it. I'm an introvert. Um, so kind of getting on stage is terrifying to me. But I've had the, been lucky and had the privilege to speak on quite a few conferences until this year, in which case. <laughs> I'm not done speaking. I was supposed to speak at about five or six this year, and they all got canceled. One's still optimistic in November, and they say, no, we're still planning on it. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. Um, but the thing is, a lot of people are being an entrepreneur by going to these conferences, I realized that being an entrepreneur has become trendy in recent years, right? It's like, oh, entrepreneur is the cool kid. You know, the guy who started, it's not before. Most entrepreneurs before were like, I can't find a job. I just need to make something, you know, I need to make a living. Let's, let's go and do that. And as a result, a lot of people are kind of going into this kind of starry-eyed optimism um, and with false expectations. Like, you know, there are so many courses on how to build your business in 30 days out there. And I'm just like, you're not building any business in 30 days. I promise you, you're not selling it in six months for $5 million. You're not doing that either. And that's kind of what a lot of people expect when they become an entrepreneur. Um, entrepreneurship is hard. It's not less work. It's a lot more. I work 50 to 60 hours a week. I run seven figure businesses and building other ones. I don't sit sipping a martini every afternoon and not worrying about it. I mean, that's not what it is. But I love what, what I the do. Facebook I, ad tells me. I know. Yeah. I'm like, look at the guy. He's on the beach and he's just relaxing in front of his Ferrari. I mean, you know, the, what? no. And that's the problem with it. Most people, I believe, would be happier working at a nine to five. A quote unquote stable income mm -hmm. where you don't worry about work after five o'clock. I was there. I know what it's like. When I was a programmer, I never thought about work. You know, as soon as I clocked out at five, I would not think about it until the next day if it was the weekend. It wouldn't even occur to me. No checking emails at six o'clock at night, nothing. Um, when you're a business owner, you don't have that luxury. You are always thinking, when you're an entrepreneur, you're always thinking about your business all day, every day, before you go to bed, first thing when you wake up in the next morning, you are going to have ups and downs. We already covered it, right? I lost LiveLingua overnight. It was mm -hmm. just made it into like this 200,000 gross range at that point. I was like, woohoo. 
Yeah. And I wake up the next morning, it is gone. I have no income coming in. Um, that's hugely, hugely stressful. Um, and it's not for everybody. You, if before going on into entrepreneurship, really ask yourself what makes you happy in life and be honest, there's no wrong answer. If being happy in life is making a lot of money, more power to you. I mean, that, that's not the wrong, that's not wrong. Um, society makes us sometimes think that that's not a nice thing to say. Um, but it's not wrong if it's honest to you. If your goal is to help as many people as possible, 50, 50 entrepreneurship may allow you to do that, but there are plenty of other ways to do that. Go and get a job with like, you know, an aid group. Um, that might be a, a more guaranteed way of you doing that. Right. Um, ask yourself that first. And if most people go through that exercise, I think they're going to find that the stress of running and building your own business is not for them. Um, get a good job. If you're, if you're lucky enough to, you know, be able to afford college and go to college, you can probably get a job that can support you and your family. You get home at five, you know, you get home at a reasonable time every day. You spend time with your kids, you get your vacation days, um, do that. But entrepreneurship, I'm sorry, is not for everybody. Uh, it's not for most people. It's for a few people who are crazy enough to, <laughs> to think that, to, think that it's fun. <laughs> I like that. And yes, Facebook ads, stop lying to us about it. Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, I've seen those ads and I, I cringe whenever I read them. I'm oh, always it's... like, one of my business ideas oh. is launching a business where my whole business is just taking those ads and ripping them apart. Like saying, <laughs> no, 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 I don't have the time. I'll never do it. But you know, I, I just kind of like, somebody should do that yeah. out there. I mean, just kind of rip those things apart. Yeah. I like that. I like that. All right, Ray, you're almost off the hook here. We always like to wrap up with a top three. And okay. yours, as someone who has done a lot of things, what are the top three things that everybody should do before they die? Okay, one, easy. Okay, technically not the right time to say this, travel. <laughs> um, get out of the country or the city or wherever you've been, see something else. I remember really well when I lived in Ohio, one of my best friends, she had never left Ohio in her life. And she gave me this quote where she said, why would I leave Ohio? Everything I need is here. And... I felt sorry for her, honestly, because there's so much in the world to see, so much more to experience um, that travel allows you to do. And when I say travel, don't just fly to a country and stay in an all-inclusive resort where you <laughs> never leave. I mean, go there, meet the people, meet the locals. It'll make enrich your life. It'll enrich you know their lives, and you'll be a better person for it. So um, that's the first thing I think everybody should do. Number two, volunteer for at least one week every year. I do volunteer vacations with my wife at a school for the deaf, probably the best vacation we do every single year. It's a lot of work. Uh, my sign language is crap. I mean, I, I can barely, I, I know the alphabet, so I'm sitting there spelling out words and it takes me like 30 minutes to get a sentence out. It's ridiculous. Um, but it makes you feel really, really good uh, when you do it. And then the third thing is tied to the first two. A lot of people sit and plan their work, plan their life, what most people don't do is plan their rest. So spend more time planning your rest than you do planning anything else and your body, your family, your health will thank you for it. I like that. I am certainly not good at planning my rest, but no, nobody is. You, know, you need yeah, to do it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> awesome. Well, Ray, thank you so much for hopping on. This was fantastic. So I've, I'd like, I'd love to dive into like eat more things, but uh, we're, we're trying to be cognizant of everyone's time. But if people want to learn more about you, want to get a, an early sign up on Podcast Talk, all that good stuff, where can they find you? Sure. So 
I'm not very active on social media simply because I have to do it for a living. You know, I mean, I have all my businesses have like Facebook accounts and Twitter accounts and all the rest of it. So if you want to find me personally, Facebook is like the one place I'm dating myself, right? They're like, what's your Instagram handle? I'm like, no, I don't have an Instagram account. I'm like, yeah, I don't have time. So find me on Facebook, Ray Blakeney. You can find it. Only one with a sword fighter, uh, you know, somebody sword fighting on the cover. Um, otherwise, you can go to either one of my businesses, livelingua.com, L-I-V-E-L-I-N-G-U-A.com. Um, go to the about us page and my email is right there. I try to make myself accessible to the team and everybody who's there. You can also do the same thing. Podcast talk. You go through the contact us page right now. That comes straight to me. Once I have customer support, it'll go to them, but then they'll pass it on to me. So you can get in touch with me with both of those as well. Podcast talk, hawk the animal, not like hawking goods at a store or something <laughs> like that. I didn't even realize that people would have that. I would think that until I did. So H A W K podcast, H A W K.com. I'd love to hear from everybody. Um, and I'm, I say that on every podcast. I'm like, contact me. Almost nobody does. But when you do, I promise I'll reply. Fantastic. Yeah, I was thinking the animal as well. But now maybe maybe I will think. Yeah, somebody maybe. else brought it up. Like, are you hawking goods or something like that? Or hawking a loogie? Tossing like, no, podcasts no. out like frisbees. I like exactly. It. <laughs> it's yeah, got a yeah. double meaning, though. It's nice. It works. It, it works does. It does. Yeah. I, I just never. I'll probably buy that domain if it actually works and just point it at the podcast. <laughs> out just in case people go to the wrong one. Exactly. <laughs> Well, Ray, thank you again. This was awesome. And of course, we'll wrap up with a corny joke, as we always do. I, this, this is one that I've recently reheard and still makes me laugh, which is a good sign of my maturity. But uh, <laughs> did you know that ants never get sick? No, I didn't know that. It's true. It's because they have little antibodies. Oh, and very, very appropriate for what's going on in the world right now. <laughs> exactly. Trying to keep it topical. <laughs>